Well, let's look at God's word together. Uh, Something I wanted to tell you about is that I was actually diagnosed with something called hyperactivity. Now, my parents tell me from the ages of three to five that I was out of control. Climbing, jumping, bouncing off the walls, breaking stuff. I would not pay attention or do anything, my parents said. So there are all kinds of stories from my childhood that go around, and I thought I'd share a couple with you. Um, One was the fact that I continually would get away from my parents in public. On one occasion, we entered a restaurant, and I was off to the races. I must have been some kind of ninja crawler because I started crawling under the tables of the patrons, going from table to table before they could get a hold of me. Upset the whole place. On another occasion, while at home and mother wasn't watching, I climbed up on the washing machine in full cycle, mind you, opened the door and proceeded to pour the whole box of Tide in the wash. That sounds like I love Lucy, doesn't it? No, true story. And then the one my parents loved to tell my high school friends is that I had this propensity to take off my little boy clothes and run around the house and neighborhood without any clothes on. And on one occasion, I got out the back door for my mother and headed toward the swing set. You know the kind with the swing and the teeter-totter and the metal slide. Yeah. So on this hot summer day, I got to the slide, climbed up on it before my parents could catch me and plopped my bare backside down on that hot metal. It was a sizzling experience, I'm sure. I just would not do what my parents said. It's a wonder that I wasn't seriously hurt as a kid. Now, thank God he protected me during those crazy years. Uh, But my parents were so concerned, they took me to a, a psychologist to figure out what was wrong. But evidently, through the years, I grew out of it, although my parents would still say, I'm still something loose up here. Um... But thankfully, I wasn't hurt seriously. And you know, hearing these stories from my parents over and again, that's partly how we learn as as kids. As kids, we're born into this world. We know nothing. We're totally dependent on our parents to teach and instruct us and raise us up in the way we should go and become responsible adults. You know, it not only works that way in our home families, but it works that way in our spiritual families. Jesus was continually telling stories to teach us about the faith, who God was, who we are, and how we are to know and relate to him. This morning, I'm excited to be launching a brand new message series that we're entitling Parables. We're going to be looking at some of the parables of Jesus. And it's exciting because in the parables, we have some of the most profound teachings of Christ about the kingdom of God. Now, a parable, very simply, is an earthly story that tells a spiritual truth. It's that simple. And Jesus, we know from looking at the New Testament, used the parable form of teaching a third of the time. That's pretty significant. Jesus used a lot of different literary uh, forms to teach, uh, hyperbole, pun, riddle, paradox, irony, poetry, but a third of the time he chose the parable to teach us about the kingdom of God. Now it's helpful to know that a parable is structured in a unique way. Um, One, a, 
a parable very simply is a form of an analogy, comparing one thing with another and drawing some key principles from that comparison. A parable also uh, is told in form of a story, like a short story. It takes us on a journey to teach a truth. And then finally, a parable is always told in such a way that it expects a response from the hearer. So Jesus, of course, being the master teacher, expecting a response, used this form to teach us about the kingdom of God. The parables are powerful. They hold the truth about who God is and how we can have real life in him. I would also tell you that the parables are perilous. Because to hear a parable and refuse to accept its truth is literally rejecting the truth about the kingdom of God. And that can result in disastrous consequences. But the good news is, hearing the parables, putting them into practice, lead to spiritual life and life in our Heavenly Father. And that, of course, is God's desire and Jesus' purpose for telling them. So I'm excited to begin this journey through the parables. And we're going to begin by looking at our first parable, which comes to us in the book of Matthew, the first New Testament book, chapter 7. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles or in your mobile devices, make your way to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, you can borrow one and at the table at the back of each of the main aisles. Feel free to help yourself to those. Now, as we look at Matthew 7, uh, reading verses 24 through 29, um, it's helpful for me to point out that this passage comes at the very end of a very important teaching of Christ. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And it encompasses Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in that sermon, Jesus shares some of the most foundational truths about the kingdom. Truths that you've heard of. We've been studying for over 2,000 years. We have the Beatitudes. We have teaching about do not judge, feed the poor. Teachings about how to pray, the Lord's Prayer. The golden rule, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's laying the foundation for his ministry and for us to know who he is and how to access the kingdom of God for ourselves. And so let's now read together Matthew 7, beginning verse 24, is from the New International Version. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, 
he takes time to leave the crowds behind, to go up on a hillside with his disciples. It says he sat down and he began to teach the Sermon on the Mount. Somewhere in Galilee, probably not far from the Sea of Galilee, is the setting for this story, this parable that Jesus tells. And in this sermon, Jesus essentially explains what it means to be a follower of Christ, to know God, the disciples' character, conduct, and commitments that should be evident in a follower of Jesus Christ. And through this sermon, we see Jesus plainly laying out what it means to know God and follow him in your life. And in these final words of this sermon, you can imagine Jesus is pointing out the things he wants to stick in his hearers' minds. The last things he wants to leave his hearers with. And it is this parable. So let's look together at what Jesus says in his parable. He begins by saying, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Everyone who hears these words. What was Christ referring to, these words? Well, I think most obviously it would refer to everything he had been teaching up until that time, the Sermon on the Mount, his teaching about the kingdom. But I think in a grander sense, he's referring to the whole redemptive plan of God and how Jesus has come to fulfill God's plan to bring God and man back into a relationship. is what we know about Christ's teaching is that God loved us so much that he created us to share his love. And we go back to Genesis to find that God created all things, including that perfect garden with those perfect people, Adam and Eve, in a perfect relationship with a perfect God. And the scripture says it was a sweet relationship he had, that he walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve had rain of the garden and named the animals and enjoyed the fruit of the garden. But then something happened. Adam and Eve made the decision to take their destiny into their own hands, to ignore the instruction of God, and they disobeyed. They sinned. And in that moment, they broke the relationship between God and man. And we know they were removed from the garden and entered a cursed world. And in that moment, God began his pursuit to redeem us, to bring us back into a relationship with himself. And that's exactly what the Bible is. It is a story of God's pursuit of man. And here we are at this passage, the climax of this story, that God, because he loved the world so much, sent his son into the world to live, to die, to rise again in our place, to bring salvation to man, to reunite us through faith in Christ. The good news, the gospel. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man. That's good news, isn't it? I mean, the essential message of Christ is good news. God is bringing his love to us and inviting us into a relationship. And I love how Christ made it available to everyone. He uses the word, everyone who hears and practices my teaching. Who's involved in everyone? Everyone. Who's not involved in everyone? It doesn't exclude anyone. 
That is incredible. You know, it's interesting that Christianity often gets a bad rap, that somehow we are exclusivistic, that we're unaccepting of other people, that we're a private club that keeps people out. Yet, when you read Jesus' words, it's clear that it is open to all people. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what you've done. It doesn't matter if you are brown, black, or white. Are you Jewish, Gentile, or Muslim, Buddhist? Were you born in Russia? Are you Mexican? Yes, even us Texans are welcome to faith in Jesus Christ. It's available to all. That's the beauty of the gospel. If we'll come with open hearts, submit to Christ, and receive this free gift, we can be part of his family. And that is the essential message of God, that all are welcome, and all who will trust him will have life. Those who follow Christ are wise and have life. Those who reject Christ are foolish and it will lead into destruction. And so Jesus lays out this message and he implores and invites us to follow him. The truth is we all have a short time in this life. That this isn't all there is to it. We are eternal beings. We will live forever. And what we do with the gospel and Jesus in this life will determine how we spend eternity. For those that submit to Christ and receive him, we have life in this life and beyond. We go to heaven to be with Christ forever. Those who reject Christ are separated from God and enter eternity apart from God. And of course, it's God's desire that none would perish, that all would have life. But we have to choose. We have to do something with what Christ is presenting to us. I also think it's important to note that Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Practice. Hmm, that's important. Jesus didn't just say, everyone who hears this will be wise. No, he says those who hear and practice. Jesus makes it clear That just knowing about God, just knowing the gospel isn't enough. Knowing the Bible, having biblical knowledge and theology isn't enough to please God. We have to do something with what we're presented with. We have to act on it. And essentially we stand in either one of two places in this moment. Either you're someone who's yet to trust Christ and you've yet to make that decision to follow. Or you have trusted Christ, you are in the faith And now we're being called to practice what we hear and obey the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so as we hear this truth, we have a choice to make. Will we practice what we hear? Will we trust Christ? And will we obey? Very simple message. Not always simple to practice. So here's the first key point I draw from Jesus' parable. That practicing Jesus' words is more important than possessing them. Practicing his truth is more important than possessing it. It's not enough to know who God is or even know a lot about the Bible. It's what you do with what you know that will impact your life and affect it for eternity. And scripture says in this passage here, those who follow Christ are wise and have life. Those who walk away from Christ experience destruction and in the end death. Well, as we look on, we're told that those who hear these teachings and put them into practice are like a wise man, a wise man who built his house 
on the rock. Now, this idea of the wise man and foolish man is often talked about throughout Scripture, both the Old and New Testament, especially in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. There's a lot of explanation about who a wise man is, who a foolish man is. And very simply, a wise man is someone who humbles themselves, submits to God's ways, and seeks to live a righteous life. And the result is blessing. The foolish man, on contrary, is the one who thinks he knows everything, rejects the instruction from others, and simply does whatever he thinks is right in his own mind and his own heart. And the results of that lead to difficulty, even destruction. And so obviously, what Jesus is saying is that we want to be the wise man. We want to follow the wise way because it results in what God wants to give us, his gift of life and his love and knowing him in a personal relationship. So the wise man built his house on the rock. Now, Jesus, being a carpenter, most likely was pretty familiar with building techniques. And it's interesting the setting where they are near the Sea of Galilee, uh, because the Sea of Galilee was surrounded by a beach of sand. And what we learn is from this is that the wise man is the one who, though, sees the sand, and though it appears to be a good foundation, he knows better. And in this part of the world, most of the year it was hot, and that sand was probably sun-baked and hard, maybe even cracked. And it looked like it'd be a great place to build a structure. But the wise man would know the winter rains would come, the Jordan River would overflow, the Sea of Galilee would fill, and the water would wash over that sand and wash it away, and everything built on it. So the wise man would know he had to build down below the surface of the sand to the bedrock, right? Sometimes in that region, you had to go down 10 feet to get a solid foundation to build a structure. And the one who built their house on the solid rock, that house would stand. And so scripture indicates to us that it's important what we choose to build our life on. So you all understand the analogy, right? So the house represents our lives, right? And by the way, it's interesting. We don't know anything about the house. And we don't know if it was a ranch or two-story. Was it a tutor? Did it have a basement? Jesus didn't dwell on that that's not what's important what's important what's important is what you build the house on the foundation is what Jesus is focusing on and so our lives are the house and the foundation is anything in which we would allow to impact our lives the way I think about it is anything you allow to rule your life or to direct your heart Um, the things in which you read the places you go, the people you relate with, anything that you base the foundation of your behavior, your habits, your words, your relationships is the foundation of your life. And your foundation will impact everything. It will impact your marriage, how you parent, how you handle your finances, how you work, how you play. It affects everything. The scripture talks about this foundation in other ways as well. And something that was helpful for me was a passage from the Apostle Paul when he refers to the foundation in terms of wisdom. That there's two kinds of wisdom in this world. And the wisdom you choose to follow will affect how you build the life that is your house. 
right? What I'd like to do is read for you a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul identifies these two kinds of wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 21, 25, and 30. And uh, see if you can pick out the two kinds of wisdom being discussed. Uh, Paul says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. It is because of him that you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So two kinds of wisdom, right? There's the wisdom of God, and then there's this other wisdom, referred to with two terms. One was the world's wisdom or human wisdom. And the world and human wisdom is very simply anything other than the ways of Christ. Any philosophy, any ethic, any religion that would take us down a road other than that of following Jesus Christ. So all of us are building our life on a foundation of one of those two wisdoms. We're either following Christ or we're not. And we know what the results of those two ways are. Those who follow Christ are wise and will have life. And those who don't follow Christ, their life will end in destruction. And so, which wisdom are you following? It was helpful for me to think about our lives in two ways. You know, we have our outer life and we have our inner life. Our outer life is very obviously our physical life, right? And our physical life is being shaped all the time by what we eat and what we drink, uh, our sleep and our exercise, how much we get or don't get of those. The way in which we manage what we do with these bodies literally shapes our physical appearance. That's science. We're all aware of that. Well, it works the exact same way with our inner life. We all have a spirit. And our spirits are being formed and fashioned as we speak all the time. The things in which we read and we take into our hearts will impact our spirit. The relationships we have, the places we go, all shape our spirits. And so at any given time, we are being shaped by the foundation we're building our life on. We're either being shaped by God's wisdom or by our own or the world's wisdom. And so we have to make a choice. Not only our initial decision to follow Christ, but every day of our life, we're making a decision one at a time. Will we follow Christ's wisdom or our own? In Scripture, God has given us all the principles we need to live life in a way to please Him. It's all here. Everything we need to please God. The question is, are we letting this lead our life? Or are we making our own choices and decisions? Are we listening to other voices other than Christ? We have to decide day in and day out. Those that are rooted in Jesus Christ, their lives flourish. They experience spiritual growth. Those that are rooted in the world's wisdom experience emptiness and decay. There's something missing. See, to follow Christ is the obvious answer. But if we're honest, we have to admit it's not always easy. Right? It's hard to dig a foundation. You ever dig a ditch? It's hard. It's hard work. 
It's hard work to dig into the Word of God and then to practice what it is we learn. It means going counterculture against the way of the world. And people will notice. They'll be critical. They'll ridicule, even persecute us. But that's the way of Christ. And though it's not easy, it leads to life. That's partly why we're a part of a church. It's why we show up here every weekend to encourage one another, to be encouraged with the word of God, to remind ourselves who we are in Christ, what we're about. And then we leave this place and scatter to live our lives for Christ among the world and hold high the gospel of Jesus Christ so they too can know what it means to have life. So another key point I pull out of this, it's significant, is that everyone is building a foundation, either wise or foolish. There's no third option. Everyone is building a foundation. It's either Christ's or the world's. And once again, we are faced with a choice. We have to choose. What foundation will you build on? Jesus and his word or the way of the world? You see the outcome of your choice. And obviously, we want to follow Christ. As we continue on in the passage, we see Jesus tell us more about this story. He says, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew against this house. It beat it. The wise man's house did not fall, but the foolish man's house fell with a crash. And in this parable, Jesus is pointing out these houses. And notice that both houses, regardless of your foundation, they experienced the storms of life. The foundation didn't determine whether you would experience a storm. The foundation determines what will happen after it hits your house. All of us experience the storms of life, don't we? The difficulty, the trials, the suffering. The foundation we're building on will determine what those storms do to us. Will we stand strong? in Christ, or will we fall apart without him? Jesus promises us, for those that build their life on him, that we will experience his presence and ever-present help in time of trouble. He will never leave us, never forsake us. As we sang, he never walks out on us. For the Christ follower, Jesus is our ever-present help. For followers of Christ, we have the, the blessing of a church family, A place where we can come for support and encouragement and love. When the world is walking out on us, when everything's falling apart, the church of Jesus Christ should be walking in, offering a hand, helping, loving, caring. As followers of Christ, we're promised the hope that this life isn't all there is to it. There's more to come. One day we'll leave this life and enter the very presence of God and be freed from sin and failure and disease and death, and be in the presence of God himself. That's the hope we have in Christ. That's what it means to build your life on the foundation that is Jesus. And so, we have a choice. Which foundation would you rather build on? Jesus said, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, then you will experience life in me. This morning, all of us find ourselves in one of two places. We're either standing on the outside of the Christian faith, trying to decide if we want to follow Christ, or we're in the faith, 
and confronted once again with the truth that we must live the truth that Jesus reveals to us. We must put it into practice. And the promise we have, this would be our third key point, is that the storms of life cannot destroy the life built on Jesus. Storms can't destroy those following Christ. As hard as life may be, we'll never fall with Christ gripping our hands and holding us through it. And we have to remember as followers of Christ that the goal of this life isn't to escape the storms. It's not comfort. That's not our ultimate goal. Rather, the storms of life are tolerable when we have Jesus in the boat with us. If we're walking with him, he will bring us through. Not only will he bring us through, he will be glorified by the fact that we have triumphed through the difficulties of life. Uh, I had the privilege to serve as a hospice chaplain for several years. Saw a lot of people who walked to the door of death and watched their families grieve. People from a lot of different walks of life. And I can tell you that whether or not you have faith in Christ completely impacts the way in which you leave this world. I saw people with faith in Christ who had hope, who were not afraid. They had a church family around them. They had encouragement. And then I saw others who didn't. They had no faith. They were afraid. They didn't know what was next. And many of them were alone. It matters what foundation we build on. It matters that we follow Christ and his ways. As we come to the end of our story, we hear for the first time that the disciples weren't the only ones hearing this sermon. That the crowds had crept up and they were listening in. And it says that as they heard Jesus' teaching, that they were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. Now, I give the crowds credit for recognizing that Jesus had authority and being impressed. But that's as far as my credit goes. Because it's not enough to be impressed with Jesus' teaching. The whole point of our parable is that we need not only hear Christ's teaching, but we must what? Practice it. Christ didn't give us his teaching to impress us. He gave us the truth to change us. We are to do something with it. It's not enough to be impressed with Christ and his teaching, to see him as a great orator or a prophet. No, we have to submit our lives to him and his truth. We have to recognize him as the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one to bring salvation to all humankind. And we have to put our faith in him. And yes, that requires a certain amount of humility and submission. It does. It means giving up our way of thinking about who God is in life and submitting ourselves to the truth of Scripture and saying, all right, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I believe in you, that you're the Messiah. I'm, I'm banking it all on you. I'm going to follow you and give you my life. And we become followers of Christ. And then once we're in the faith, we have to stay faithful to the truth. And when we read it, we have to go out and do it, even when it's hard. It's not enough to be compassionate for the poor. We have to help them. We have to feed them and house them and clothe them. It's not enough to hear the truth. We must live it. So, as we come to the end of our story, we have a decision to make. What foundation will we build on? 
If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ before, I want to invite you to do that. Make today the day. We're glad you're here and you're exploring and asking questions. We welcome people outside the faith to come and check it out. But our hope is, like Christ, that one day you'll choose to follow. You'll step across the line and become a Christ follower. And we're a church here for you. We exist to help people on that journey. And we'd love to talk to you about it. And by the way, if you make that decision to follow Christ, please tell us. We want to know. We want to pray for you. We want to give you resources about how to grow in your faith. And believers, so our challenge is that we don't just become big-headed people who know a lot about the Bible and don't live it. That leads to arrogance and pride. Believers, we must be known as people of the book who live it. People must see a difference in our lives because we're following Christ. And we need to stick together to encourage one another in this way of living in life, even when it gets tough. Well, I'm excited about this journey through the parables. And if I could give you a little homework, it would be this. I would encourage you in preparation for our parable study to read the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And as you do, let it ready your heart for this journey. And let's make a commitment together that what we hear through the teaching of the parables as we read God's word, that we will make every effort to put it into practice by God's grace and the strength of his spirit. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for the gift of your presence For the gift of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the good news that through faith in him we can have life. God, we thank you for your word where you so plainly explain to us who you are and how we can know you and how we are to live life. And Father, if there's anyone here today who does not know you, I pray through the strength of your spirit you would give them the faith to trust you even now. And as your believers, God, strengthen us through your Holy Spirit to live out the truth you revealed to us today and the days ahead, that we may bring you glory and honor in our lives. Lord, we love you. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.